RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 396 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, January 15th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, January 18th, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Anthony. And Kenna is traveling for work this week, but... We have a very special guest joining us for this episode. Grace from Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Grace, thank you so very much for stepping in and joining us on this episode. I made it across the multiverse, and boy, are my arms tired. (laughs) Without a transporter accident, thankfully. Yeah, we'll see if I end up with an extra kidney or something. Time's going to tell us on that one. Well, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? This week, we're trekking out a super-secret Section 31 series starring Michelle Yeoh. Alex Kurtzman gives us intel on Star Trek Discovery's storyline, Picard's progress, and hints at what the future holds for Star Trek. Costume designer Gersha Phillips has reason to celebrate, and CBS Entertainment Group holds in CBS Films. In Star Trek Online and gaming news, we're excited by the contents of the Emperor's Lockbox and review the Star Trek mobile game Fleet Command. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, as we do every week, we have to start the show by thanking our patrons. Because without their financial support from month to month, we wouldn't be able to continue producing the content that you've come to expect here on Priority One Podcast. Captains, we encourage you to trek us out over at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One, where we have multiple tiers of donations. For instance, you can donate as little as a dollar. Or you can start off at $10, because at the $10 level, we actually produce additional content for you to consume from week to week, including our very special Patreon After Hours podcast, where currently we're talking about the Orville, but it could be about a new Star Trek movie, a comic, something geeky that we're all going to enjoy. This is, of course, unedited and unscripted, so it's the best of all of us. Now, of course, we understand that a financial contribution may not be in the cards, but there are other ways that you can help support Priority One. For instance, when you see us post something on social media like Facebook or Twitter, be sure to retweet and share the post. Let other Trekkies know that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here on Priority One Podcast. And before we move on, we want to remind you about some very special events coming up. On February 16th, we're celebrating our 400th episode with a 12-hour Extra Life event. For 12 hours, the Priority One team will be playing games live on Twitch to raise money for Extra Life's partnership with Children's Miracle Network and the Philadelphia Children's Hospital. We'll have giveaways from our friends like the Roddenberry Store and more. Again, all proceeds will go to Extra Life and the Philadelphia Children's Hospital. That's happening on Saturday, February 16th, starting at 1 p.m. Help us raise funds to give children a fighting chance. A link to the event will be posted in the show notes. Hey, Grace, do you have anything uh, from Women at Warp uh, coming up that you want to spot? Sure. We've got new episodes from Women at Warp every other week, and along with continuing content showing up on our blog. Uh, if For those of you listening to this live, I will be at PodCon this coming weekend. Keep your eyes out for content from me there. 
Awesome. And how can people follow Women at Warp? You can find us on Twitter at Women at Warp. You can find us on Facebook at Women at Warp. You can find us on Patreon at forward slash Women at Warp. Awesome. Well, it's time to trek out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. For far too long, it has been lurking in the shadows. A rumor. A whisper. Is it real? Isn't it? Will we ever know? Well, it turns out it is real. And it's on the way. We are, of course, talking about the long-rumored Georgiou Discovery spinoff. The Hollywood Reporter states the series is currently in development and expected to move to series on CBS All Access. Michelle Yeoh will reprise her role as the former Terran Emperor, and the series will explore the inner workings of the Federation's most well-known super-secret shadow organization, Section 31. Alex Kurtzman and Secret Hideout's Heather Caden will serve as the series' executive producers, along with Rod Roddenberry and Trevor Roth of Roddenberry Entertainment. Star Trek Discovery scribes Erica Lippold and Bo Yon Kim and Discovery producer Aaron Byers will co-executive produce. In a statement, Kurtzman said, quote, Michelle has shattered ceilings, broken boundaries, and astonished us with her grace and gravitas for decades. As a human, I adore her. As an actor, I revere her. Erica and Boy are remarkable, exciting writers who bring a fresh perspective to the world of Star Trek. And we're all thrilled to explore the next wild chapter in the life of Captain Philippa Georgiou. End quote. Series star and fan favorite Michelle Yeoh said of the project, quote, I'm so excited to continue telling these rich Star Trek stories. Being a part of this universe and this character specifically has been such a joy for me to play. I can't wait to see where it all goes. Certainly, I believe it will go where no woman has ever gone before. End quote. So I am really excited about this, first off. And I love the fact that this series seems to have come from a very organic place. That we were introduced to her Prime Universe counterpart in the first two episodes of Discovery and immediately fell in love with her. And then to have this new character come in and be so different and 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 I I love the use of the word gravitas that he says here. And I think that this is the kind of series that is naturally coming out of what Discovery had. And I know a lot of people are concerned about you know, Carlos even mentioned in the chat here that he wants a prequel series because we want more of that um that Captain Giorgio than 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 Section 31 Giorgio. But I think there's an opportunity, and I don't know if they're going to do this, but it would be great if this Mirror Universe, Giorgio, is reflecting on the accomplishments of her counterpart while her story is unfolding. And so maybe we even get flashbacks to Captain Giorgio in this series while we're telling, you know, this contemporary story. I definitely get the impression that if we're going to explore more of this Mirror character, we've got to explore more of this prime character just to get the full context of Giorgio's role in the Federation and how that's going to be changing especially with the involvement of Section 31. Yeah, I absolutely love Michelle Yeoh. Um, anything I've seen her now I haven't seen the latest film um, that she was in and I, I desperately want to. My only you know, my only thing about it is, okay great, we're, do, we're seeing a spin-off, it's a great character. The only reservation I have is how invested are we in Philippa Giorgio, right? Because the, the emperor, the em the former emperor. And the reason I think about that is because I've been doing a rewatch of Discovery leading up to the season premiere. And there are shining moments for each character. And we have fallen in love with, with certain characters as the season progresses. I wonder if we would have been more excited had this been announced, let's say, after season two, where we get to learn more about Empress Georgiou versus Captain Georgiou. Because I personally would rather see Prime Universe Georgiou versus Empress Georgiou in Section 31. And this thought process also kind of extends even to Mary Wiseman's character. Remember when we were all up in arms because she dropped the F-bomb? You know what? If she had done that at the 
towards the end of the first season where we really got to know Cadet Tilly, I feel like it would have been more acceptable. Like we all would have been like, yeah, that's Tilly. You know, like we, we would have- That's our girl. Right, right. So I'm glad that we're seeing a spinoff with Michelle Yeoh. I just kind of wish it was more Prime Universe, you know, Shenzo prequel kind of thing. If I may, I think uh, part of the big appeal of uh, the mirror universe in this version and pretty much in any version uh, that we see of it in different series is, is there's definitely a level of mystery and there's a level of the audience not totally knowing what's going on here and having to be kind of led through and shown just how different it is. And I think with uh, Mirror Giorgio, that's part of the appeal also, this kind of well, what's she gonna do next aspect. Um, there's definitely more of a mystery to mirror Giorgio than straightforward Captain Hero Prime Giorgio. Star Trek's Commander-in-Chief Alex Kurtzman went on a marketing sprint this week, talking to Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, and Entertainment Weekly, among others. Many of Kurtzman's interviews were consistent with what was said in last week's The Hollywood Reporter CES Creative Space interview, but there were also a few new tidbits worth discussing. In his Variety CES interview, Kurtzman spoke about Lower Decks showrunner Mike McMahon's pitch for the upcoming adult-oriented animated series. Quote, Mike McMahon came to me and said, I want to do a show about the people in the lower decks of a spaceship whose job it is to take the yellow cartridge, put it into the processor, and make sure the banana comes out on the other side. And I said, you can stop pitching because that's perfect. The key is to laugh with Star Trek, not at Star Trek, end quote. When asked about where Star Trek animation will appear, Kurtzman confirmed that Lower Decks will air on CBS All Access, but said, quote, there are going to be other animated shows. And the question is, where are they going to be best suited? Because they are probably going to be for a younger audience, end quote. Kurtzman continued talking about the storyline for season two. Quote, Spock has never mentioned his half-sister Michael Burnham, and it was a big mystery. And I think I knew inherently that the answer to that question was not going to be one or two episodes. It was going to be a full season. It was really, for me, the story of the season, end quote. He continued his examination of the Burnham-Spock dynamic in an interview with Variety's TV Take podcast, saying, quote, There has to be a really, really compelling reason that he went through TOS, the movies both in the Prime and Kelvin universe, and never said a word about her. The challenge of that, figuring out how to make that work emotionally, and how to make that work on a plot level, was so juicy that I think we just felt we had to go for it. Look, I'm a huge sucker for a sibling story. I just am, end quote. Speaking to EW.com, Kurtzman once again confirmed that Discovery's second season would remain serialized, saying, quote, It's very serialized. There are no real one-offs. Every piece of the puzzle is connected to the finale we worked backward from, knowing that outcome we wanted to get. There are episodes that seem standalone that are fundamentally part of where we're going at the end, end quote. Kurtzman covered a few more interesting points, first noting there will be more Arium. I, I think yeah. that's how you pronounce yeah. her name. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Arium, the cyborg humanoid bridge officer in season two. He also noted that Lorca won't make an appearance in Discovery second season, but that doesn't mean we won't see him again. In regards to the upcoming Picard series, Kurtzman said of progress, quote, The writer's room has broken about eight episodes, and we're moving quickly, and I couldn't be more excited about it, end quote. For a link to all the articles referenced, be sure to check out the show notes. I, uh, you know, this, it, there's no doubt that it's super exciting that we're going to be seeing so much new Trek, right? We're in the golden age of Trek right now with all of the, the, the things in production. I like the open-endedness of the animation not being limited to CBS All Access. I still think that CBS All Access is an unnecessary gate to potential Trekkies. And they have to be seeing that. If he's leaving that open-ended, that means that they're seeing that. They're they're hearing what I'm sure all of us have heard on the ground, which is people talking about this new Star Trek series but going, "Yeah, but I don't know what the CBS All Access thing and I'm not I'm not going to pay for it." So, you know, it's it's like with Short Treks. They should have released that on their YouTube channel, on Vimeo or something to reach a broader audience. And I think especially for the animated series, or at least one of them, they should consider releasing in a more accessible way. Well, personally, I'm just looking forward to getting into the conversation that always seems to come up of, 
oh, are you watching the new Star Trek show? And then you can say, which one? (laughs) Just because that seems like a wonderful little bit of mud in the eye of anyone who just doesn't like whatever the newest series is. Right, 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 right. No, it's a great time to be a Trekkie. I mean, Anthony likes to say it all the time. Speaking of when he's talking about the plot of season two, it occurred to me that I've recently, I recently rewatched, you know, Discovery season one, as I'm sure a lot of us have in preparation for season two. But I also went back and I watched the Menagerie from the from TOS that has the intercut pilot, the cage, and the storyline of Spock basically commandeering the Enterprise to take Pike back to Telus. And it occurred to me that they never quite answer why Spock is willing to do that. And then it also occurred to me that I wonder if it's because he he feels that he owes a debt to Pike. And then I thought to myself, well, well why and when would that have happened? And now I'm starting to think that maybe we're going to get that answer in season two of Discovery. And we're going to find out oh, we're going like to find that. out why Spock is so compelled. The only thing I can think of is that Pike is going to help Spock in a way that the only way that Spock feels he can repay him is by stealing the Enterprise later on to take him back and sort of help heal him. And Kurtzman has already mentioned that Spock is broken at the beginning of season two. And I would love to think that Pike is going to help heal him and that that's why he feels he has to do what he does in the menagerie. So I'm, I'm kind of really excited about the potential for that. And as far as the other Star Trek shows go, I mean, what a time to be alive for a Star Trek fan. Uh, really. And I I completely agree with you, Elijah, about the delivery of the short treks. And I think that they understand that and they realize that and they want this new animated show for a younger audience to sort of be an introduction to Star Trek so that they'll they'll all grow up and be good little CBS All Access subscribers like they want. The Costume Designers Guild has announced its nominees in film and television categories for 2018. And Star Trek Discovery costume designer Gersha Phillips is among those honored. Phillips has been nominated in the category of Excellence in Sci-Fi Fantasy Television, along with designers from American Horror Story Apocalypse, The Handmaid's Tale, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, and Westworld. This is Gersha Phillips' first Costume Designers Guild nomination, though she has been nominated by the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television for her work on the film The Mortal Instruments, City of Bones. The winners will be announced at the 21st Annual Costume Designers Guild Awards on Tuesday, February 19th. Are you a fan of the Mirror Universe costumes, Grace? I love them. I think they're fantastic. I really love how just about every time you get to see the costuming for the Mirror Universe, you really do get to see whoever is doing the costuming have some fun with it. At the end of the day, when you're trying to dress people and you have to dress them mostly all in the same uniform, that's really where everyone gets to come out and play, stylistically-wise. And spoiler alert, this won't be the last time we talk about those uniforms in this episode. We'll readdress it later. There's something else about the rewatch that I've noticed. Um, I've had access to a high-def projector, like like a theater room, so to speak. And I started watching, I watched the first four episodes of Discovery on that screen. And when you're watching it in such a cinematic format, you really start to appreciate how detailed the production quality of the show actually was. They filmed it as if though it was meant for the big screen. And we did get it established when they were first doing promotional um, work for the series that they were planning that and very, um, very specifically working it to make sure that this was a show that worked on all levels, especially in an HD format, that it was going to be something where even if you were completely standing right next to this to a big screen of it, you would still see details and still be impressed by them. According to Deadline sources, CBS Films will become part of the larger CBS Entertainment Group and shift its focus to streaming-centric content. A statement from CBS Corporate reads, quote, As part of our ongoing optimization of CBS operations, CBS Films will be folded into the larger CBS Entertainment Group over the course of 2019. This will allow the company to further focus its entertainment resources on its television, digital, and streaming businesses. End quote. As the Deadline article points out, the integration of CBS Films comes at an interesting time. It was reported on January 8th that the CBS board was halting its search for a new CEO because merger talks with Viacom were back on the agenda. Check out the show notes for a link. So all, all that always comes to my mind whenever we talk about this is the reunification of Star Trek rights. 
However, at this point, with seemingly Star Trek IV in the Kelvin timeline appearing to be shelved, I'm not sure this really is going to mean anything to Star Trek anymore. I mean, is it possible that they shelved the talks with for Star Trek IV because of these discussions? And I highly doubt that. I think what happened was is that they were in development. The executives at Paramount were not gun-ho about getting this project started anytime soon. The director, S.J. Clarkson, decided, hey, there's an opening for directing the prequel to Game of Thrones. I'm going to jump on that. So she took that job. And now all of a sudden, development has slowed down. I mean, these kinds of things happen in the background all the time of, of filmmaking. But I think that because Discovery, as you pointed out, is is so cinematic on the small screen that they really feel like there's nothing for them to offer now. I mean, Star Wars is in the cinemas, Discovery's on TV, there's more Star Trek coming on TV. I think that they, they're really starting to think that, well, if we don't have something special to offer, we're not going to offer anything. Now, the rumor is, is that the Quentin Tarantino Star Trek is still in development, which is fine, and that could eventually come to fruition. But I mean, again, I think that they're being very slow on this, not on purpose, but I think just because they kind of want to see what happens. And, you know, before they make any big decisions. Now let's find out what happened this week in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Before we jump into Star Trek Online and gaming news, let's welcome back Fleet Admiral Winters from the Priority One Armada. Hey! Hello, everyone. Star Trek Online's ninth anniversary is less than a week away, and we're excited to have Mary Wiseman return for the debut of Mirror Universe Captain Sylvia Tilly. Hashtag silly for Tilly. Returning in two new story missions involving the crew of the ISS Discovery on the planet Pavo. We can also get excited about the contents of the Emperor's Lockbox, also debuting with this ninth anniversary. Along with the Lockbox, we also have two new Lobby Store items available, including one of the most requested costumes ever in the history of all things. The Discovery Season 1 Mirror Universe Terran Empire uniforms. These black and gold screen accurate outfits are perfect for showcasing your sinister agenda. And what Terran Empire uniform wouldn't be complete? without a replica of Emperor Philippa Georgiou Augustus Eponius Centaurius's sword. This melee weapon has a chance to inflict damage over time, as well as call in a Terran assault squad to back you up. Each Emperor's lockbox also contains a Terran fortune cookie with an assorted fortune. Now, I wonder what would happen if you fed that cookie to a Tribble. Hint, hint. <laughs> Captains will also see the standard fare in these boxes, R&D packs, boosts, duty officer assignments, new captain traits, and three new kit modules. But we can also look forward to some Mirror Universe space weapons and an Emperor Vanity Shield. This Vanity Shield will give any ship visuals similar to the brand new Mirror Styx Terran Dreadnought Cruiser. Did we mention the Tier 6 Styx Terran Dreadnought Cruiser? Well, it comes with the Magneto Hydrodynamic Fusion Expulsion Universal Console and the Starship Mastery Vaulting Ambition. For more information and a full list of ship stats, check out the show notes. About this lockbox, you know, the... There's plenty to dive into and talk about. Winters, what are you most excited about for the lockbox? I think, without a doubt, it's going to be the Terran Empire uniforms. And I predict a lot of lobby being spent on January 23rd when this lockbox comes out and these costumes become available in the lobby store. I know a lot of people who are really, really excited about this. And I'd say the sword as well. I think a lot of people are probably going to pick up that sword. One thing that we forgot to mention that's also in this lockbox is the fidget spinner of death uh, that was used in uh, one of the Mary Universe episodes and I know, Elijah, that you're a big fan of that uh, device. There is nothing more impressive than a killer fidget spinner. Now that the fad has kind of died out, I can see why people might not be excited for it, but I just kind of want to see the animation for this and see what it looks like. With respect to the ship itself, 
Winters, have you heard anything about people's reception to the new ship? To be honest, I've heard more about the costumes than I have the ship, to be honest with you. Um, the ship itself, it seems pretty okay. It's very well-rounded. Uh, you know, it's it's very equal in its stats. Like, it's got an impressive hull, impressive shields, impressive tactical console slots. The stats for the Admiralty card are very balanced with it as well. But... Yeah, I haven't heard much excitement for the ship, to be honest with you. You see, I wonder how Vaulting Ambition, the Starship trait, would actually improve a ship's loadout, right? Vaulting Ambition, while this trait is slotted, your energy weapons gain massive critical severity versus foes at low health. I mean, I guess if you're already serving up some pretty significant DPS, the benefit to that is pretty low because you're already cutting through them like a hot knife through butter, right? Right. Well, the other thing is that you tend to focus fire a lot of times. So so if you're just going after one foe or one enemy, you know, you're, you're, you're wasting all of that extra damage at the very end. And then you go after the next one who's presumably at full health. So, you know, if you can kind of spread out the damage, you know, using uh, beam fire at will or cannon scatter volley, you know, then you might you might see some mileage out of it. It kind of looks like a Jem'Hadar ship, huh? Like if a Jem'Hadar ship and a Federation ship had a baby. Well, it's based on the, the Charon. Emperor's the Emperor's ship. Yeah. I, okay. What does that have to do with the with the Jem'Hadar ships? Well, presumably looks more like that than a Jem'Hadar ship is what I'm saying. I'm looking at it now, and I I can see it, you know, being Jem'Hadar esque. It's yeah. I, right. It's got a bug quality to it. Right. Yeah. It has a, a bug quality. Uh, the uh, the pets remind me of the uh, Cylon Raiders. That's what the pets remind me of. Oh, good call. Has to be some uh, inspiration there from Battlestar Galactica. With the new update comes two episodes for Mirror of Discovery. And the story begins with Para Pacham. When the Vulcan Science Academy loses contact with its team on Pavo, Chief Scientist Somat dispatches you and your ship to investigate. The story then continues in episode Episode 2, Illusion of Communication, when your team comes face-to-face with the ruthless Captain Tilly of the ISS Discovery, which has jumped forward in time and is now inexplicably linked with the Povins. The Age of Discovery content continues when Mirror of Discovery and the 9th anniversary of Star Trek Online launches on January 23rd for PCs and later on for consoles. So I have a question here. Well, I guess not, right? Because Pavo happened just before the two discoveries supposedly switched on the season on season one of Discovery. I guess ultimately my question is, are we going to see Captain Killy talk about her experience in the prime universe and the, well, the mirror universe is the prime universe. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I, I'm thinking because there's a time, there's a time issue here because in, in discovery season one, um, Admiral Cornwell says that she saw the discovery wreckage, uh, that was that we find out it was the ISS discovery. So I'm right. thinking oh. I'm thinking that when the discovery switched places, the ISS discovery did not immediately go to the prime universe at the same time. That they jumped forward in time to this point at Pavo. And then we're going to see what happens directly after that moment and then I'm assuming that by the end of this story that we experience, they're going to jump back to the past in the prime timeline and then get destroyed is what I'm thinking. Temporal mechanics give me a headache. <laughs> well, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they, you know, tie these two episodes into already existing canon that we've seen in season one of Discovery. I think that's going to be pretty cool. But are these episodes taking place in the Mirror Universe or are is it a Mirror Universe incursion and we're fighting them off on our end? This is in the prime timeline in 2410. Okay. I don't know about that. No, that's been that's been confirmed. Has this? Because yeah. I would have thought that these back up epi- your sources. I, w- I would have thought that these episodes would be going into the Age of Discovery content, which is the start in, of you know playing a, dis- a Discovery character. That's what I assumed. But in the in the two articles I link, it says that there's a time displacement. Right. Okay. Well, captains, that leads us to our first community question this week. What are you looking forward to most? With the ninth anniversary of Star Trek Online and Mirror of Discovery, let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO396 or by leaving us a comment on our social media posts of this community question. Before we move on, uh, there's one thing that I do want to mention, and it's actually something that we missed last week. Uh, it was in the patch notes that um, they updated the UI for the reputations and they added 
a fill-all button for completing reputation projects. That they most certainly did. So, for those of you who are all set up on level six, good for you. Yep. I still have a few to get through. I'm at level, I'm at, I'm at tier five for a few of them. So that fill all button is great. Now here's another added tool tip for you is if you hold the control button on your keyboard, the control key and click fill all, you bypass the confirmation dialogue. So it's one less click you have to do. Right. That's a good tip. Now, the sad thing is, is that the items in the boxes that you get for each of those reputations still aren't salvageable, but that'll end up being fixed when I get to tier six and all the reputations. So look forward to that in the future. This weekend from now until Monday, January 21st, captains on PC can earn weekend vouchers by participating in the Kobayashi Maru event. Each day you can earn one voucher to use towards special items and weapons from the weekend event store, including the new prolonged engagement photon torpedo, finally completing the three piece prolonged engagement set. And captains on console can take advantage of a junior officer weekend, gain additional accommodation XP on duty officer assignments, and you can also receive a special purple quality duty officer from your faction's duty officer contact. The special DOF will only be available if you haven't already claimed it during a previous junior officer event. Uh, so if you want some tips on how to finish Colonial, um, of course, for anyone that doesn't know, we're talking about the different commendations that are available in the duty officer system. Uh, you want to go to the nebulas and clusters like the Delta Volanus cluster, the uh, Harami nebula and Bektraka nebula and all those. And you want to do the 20 hour missions and mm. you will fly through Colonial. And you'll actually get a lot of other um, XPs as well. You'll get engineering XP, you'll get military XP. And uh, yeah, that's the trick to finishing out that one. And for recruit recruitment, uh, the trick to filling out that one is to break down uncommon or green duty officers into whites or rare or blue duty officers into greens and then back into whites again and uh, sell them on the exchange or contribute them to your fleet. But you will fly through the recruitment uh, commendation category really, really fast if you're doing that. So you don't have to run a duty officer mission. You get recruitment bonuses, recruitment XP just by breaking down a green or a, a common or uncommon duty officer? Well, well not common. Uh, common is the, is the I'm lowest. Sorry, uh, so very rare. Uh, uncommon. A rare or uncommon? Uncommon rare or very rare you can break down. Uh, and yes, it's a duty officer mission. It takes like five seconds and you just repeat over and over again. You just break all your greens down into whites, break all your blues or whatever amount of blues you want into three greens, and then break those greens back into whites again. And every time you do this, you get rec uh, recruitment XP, and it doesn't cost any dilithium or anything like that at all. It's completely free. Now, going the other direction, uh, let's say taking five commons, you can get one uncommon, but that costs dilithium, and the higher up you go, the more dilithium it costs. And breaking down these duty officers is in the duty officer window of the UI? You have to go to the uh, Lieutenant Farah in Starfleet Academy. And for the Klingons? Uh, for the Klingons, it's in the Klingon Academy and you talk to uh, Stas, I believe his name is. He's uh, cool. down down the bottom where the bank and exchange uh, area is. Well, hopefully these little tips help you with your dailies, Captains. In the meantime, over on console, players can look forward to fighting alongside Captain Philippa Georgiou and the USS Shenzo at the Battle of the Binary Stars. This limited time featured TFO will begin January 22nd. Once every 20 hours, Captains who participate in the TFO will earn a TFO commendation. Once a Captain has earned 14 TFO commendations, they will receive the Beacon of Kalis, along with marks, dilithium, and three TFO reward boxes containing your choice of either an enhanced universal tech upgrade or a captain specialization point. Activating the beacon of Kalis will summon a group of Klingon ships to assist you. And mind you, if you have the bloom feature on for your visual <laughs> effects, this is a blinding white light, quite literally. You will blind everybody in your... <laughs> in your immediate vicinity every time you launch this. I use it as an oh crap button when I <laughs> notice that my hole is a little low and I need a little bit of backup. Uh, I trigger this and more often than not, especially with that the first few weeks of having this, uh -huh. everybody was like, what was that white light? What is that? What's happening? What is that? 
Walk. Sorry, guys. Speaking of Kalos. Speaking of Kalos. Walking to the white lies. In other gaming news, late last year, we were cautiously optimistic about a new Star Trek mobile game set in the Kelvin timeline called Star Trek Fleet Command. We had planned on reviewing the game earlier and even recorded one. However, after playing the game for several hours, neither Elijah nor I were thrilled with it. So we ended up cutting the review due to a long-running episode. Since then, I've played for well over 20 hours and am now confident in delivering a more complete and thorough review. Star Trek Fleet Command boasts at being an all-in-one mobile RPG strategy, exploration, space battle, dexterity, customizable, unique, real-time, action-packed, kitchen sink-filled, time-wasting space sim. Well, not really all of those things. But my point is, when your game is a jack-of-all-trades, it's a master of none. The graphics of the game are beautiful. I'm actually quite impressed by the quality of the spaceship design, the space vistas, and the CG character design of the Kelvin cast. This really helps in bringing you into the game. From the get-go, when Scotty helps you establish your starbase as a neutral captain, you feel like you've passed through a black hole and emerged in the more lens flare enhanced timeline. Your goal is to gather resources to build up your starbase, research new technologies and ship designs, then to level up your starbase as you complete missions and recruit your crew. You start off in a far corner of the known galaxy with the Federation, Romulan, and Klingon territories very far off. This gives the game a real sense of epicness, which again impressed me given the fact that I was playing this on my smartphone. The game doesn't do a great job of holding your hand as you figure out how to succeed, but this wasn't necessarily a negative for me since I do enjoy a sense of exploration and discovery in games. Unfortunately, you start to realize that the mission selection really isn't all that diverse. There are a couple of loose story threads that you follow, most of them from the cast of the Kelvin films. It was fun to have Kirk or Uhura ask me and my ship for help. After a while, the game began to feel like a grind. Some people like that. Log in, tap on your screen for a little bit, get those daily quests, and then log out for another eight hours. That's fine, but to keep my interest, I need something a little bit more enticing. I was also disappointed to learn that you don't really get to choose your faction or even reach Federation space until a much higher level. Even after all of this, I was still interested in the game. However, once I reach a certain level, my ships could be attacked by other players. There's nothing like hearing your phone buzz, imagining what funny Trek meme your friend is sending just to find out that your mining ship has been destroyed and you've lost all 2,000 in a level Tritanium that it's been working on for the last eight hours. True story. So, if you're looking for something a little bit more in-depth than the current mobile offerings, then you might want to give Star Trek Fleet Command a try. But, if you're looking for something that's a little bit more impressive and worth the time investment, I might recommend setting a different course. Well, that's it for this week in gaming news. Now we invite Jace for this month's Literary Review. Hello, Captains. This is Jace with the latest edition of Trek Lit 101. This episode takes us on The Way to the Stars, fourth of the Pocket Books Discovery novels by Una McCormick. McCormick is no stranger to romps across space and time, and has penned a half dozen DS9 novels plus entries in The Fall and Typhon Pact, as well as several Doctor Who books and audio dramas. The Way to the Stars takes us into the backstory of cadet Sylvia Tilly, before she was even a cadet, starting with her debatably sweet 16 celebration and showing us how she came to be the brilliant eccentric that we'd eventually meet posted on Discovery. It's also worth mentioning that all this takes place within a frame story where Tilly is stressing out on the eve of starting her command training and Michael Burnham invites her to share what's bothering her. Tilly, being Tilly, naturally starts this way back at the beginning. I'll admit to being dubious and almost even put off a little by the first quarter or so of this book, reading about Tilly's cringing before her tiger mom, getting through what at first looked like it might be turning into teen school drama situations, and wondering if I was in for a couple hundred pages of that sort of thing had me a little concerned. It didn't take long at all from there though to grabbed me with a few twists and turns that led to a very engaging read. The Way to the Stars shows us Tilly's first steps towards figuring out where she belongs in the wider context of the 23rd Century Federation. As she, in traditional teenage fashion, stretches her legs a bit and tries her hand at being more independent and grown up. Naturally, being Tilly, this meets with mixed results and a fair amount of hijinks. 
I think it was a very neat idea showing us some Federation and Federation adjacent life that isn't an Academy tale, or of course the grown-up adventures that we've had many, many of. We know she ends up there, obviously, but that's not what the book is about per se. McCormick also has a firm grasp of her voice. There were numerous sections where I could really hear Mary Wiseman's delivery of these lines. One funny side note to that though, there were some scattered Britishisms that stood out to me a bit to the point where I checked the author bio and yes, she is from England. Tilly and others tutting quite a bit, some 20th century cultural references, some subtle, some less so, but fun and amusing, being mostly from British literature and sci-fi, and a few turns of phrase that I at least noted. Not immersion breaking at all, but the tiniest bit out of character perhaps. Though to be fair, her parents are Chauvin and Ian, even if her grandma is Parisian and she's never been to London, and has always wanted to. Ooh, maybe she's just an Anglophile at this age. That's my new headcanon, there we go. In any case, I'd class that as less than a gripe and more an interesting tidbit worth keeping an eye open for as you read this book. I definitely suggest it to anyone who's keeping up with Discovery, and especially to those of you who are already Silly for Tilly, which I take to have almost gotten a nod in the book as she calls herself Silly Tilly once, self-deprecatingly. It probably isn't, but just let me have my illusions, okay? So far, I'm pleased with the disco novel offerings. The next book, The Enterprise War, will be out this summer and apparently will share with us the story of what a certain Constitution-class starship was up to during the big events of Discovery Season 1, with a deeper look at Pike, Number 1, and Spock. Also, if you do read The Way to the Stars, it's worth considering the frame story with Michael Burnham in light of her relationship to her own family as Tilly resolves some of her thoughts and feelings about hers. I thought that was a nice touch as well, even though it was not made explicit. It was genuinely subtle, which, you know, sometimes Star Trek isn't always. In any case, that's all for this month's Trek Lit 101. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we are ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Episode 395's community question was, how do you think the destruction of the Romulan Empire will affect the Picard series? From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell writes in, I'd imagine that the destruction of Romulus in the Picard show would go very much like it does in Star Trek Online. As far as I know, the key thing really propping up the Romulan Star Empire was the strength of their military and authoritarian structures, like the Tal Shiar, keeping their people in check. With their homeworld gone, the Empire would likely fracture. Lots of civil war, unrest, refugees, maybe a planet or two trying to leave the Empire and join the Federation, etc. On the sideline, though, there might be a more progressive group of folks, let's call them the reunificationists, trying to forge a new path for themselves and the Romulan, and maybe Riemann, people? I'm sure a certain ambassador, Jean-Luc Picard, would love to have a chat with them. So, okay, first of all, we need to address something before we move any further. The destruction of Romulus is, in fact, canon. Yes. Yep. So we actually see it happen in the 2009 Star Trek series where when Spock mind melds with Kirk and you see the whole thing happen. So there's that whole scene of exposition explaining that in prime Spock's timeline actually happened. All these things actually happened. Now, arguably, Roberto Orsi, who wrote the 2009 Trek and then later on, helped in the development of the Countdown series leading up to the movies, that's not the only thing that's that's canon. For instance, Data, or B4, who is now Data, is the captain of the Enterprise. You know, the comics, the, the comics do the prime timeline some serious justice, and they honor the characters quite a bit. Oh, absolutely. Um, IDW has done some fantastic stuff with... Uh... With both the Prime and the Kelvin timeline. And that mm-hmm. comic book story mm-hmm. was was outlined by Alex Kurtzman and Roberta Orsi. Exactly. And and Orsi has gone on the record to say, yes, I consider a canon. You know, it, you know, but so the, the argument is, okay, well, it wasn't on screen, so therefore it's soft canon. But I don't know. I You know, it, the, the Countdown comic was specifically written for the film, 
by the people who wrote the film. For literature, Star Trek literature, that's as close to canon as you're actually going to get. Donata Rubio Sodra from Facebook says, As one of the great forces of this sector of the galaxy, the destruction of the Empire can generate from an expansion of the Klingon Empire to groups that blame the Federation, as in the case of films, or even a return of the Romulans to Vulcan. Who knows, a reunification of the two species? I am okay. You see, it's all set up. It makes sense that Picard steps in for Spock to help rebuild the Romulan Empire. From Twitter, Daryl writes, I'm not a fan of the idea that it all stems from the JJ2009 event. In all good things, he had been an ambassador and tended grapes. More interested in new things and influences. Tired of all the retcon and fan service, servicing this fan would involve ditching all that. So I I certainly can see where Daryl is coming from, that there's there's certainly a little bit of a fear about fan service. I think that Patrick Stewart would not have signed on if that's what he felt it was going to be. And the fact that he is signed on and he's willing to do it, I think means that he's looking to bring something new to the role and that excites him and that therefore that should excite us. So um, hopefully they won't go down the fan service rabbit hole. Are you, Grace, what are your thoughts on the Picard series? taking on the whole Romulus thing. I'm interested to see what they do with it, definitely. Um, I'm a little wary about Picard coming back as a central focus, just because um, I think we saw with a lot of the films that that can, that can be kind of a crapshoot. Either it can work really well and do a great service to the character, or it can just kind of prove that after a while some characters um, aren't going to work under certain levels of scrutiny uh, via the audience. So I'm skeptical, but cautiously excited. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sean Newboy writes, Well, for one, it would add tons of automatic drama. The Romulan economy will be in a freefall. Many new power struggles will be started. All of that is just internally. Then you will have the fleet, or what is left of it, trying to hold off the Klingons, as well as others. We'd also like to give a shout-out to Sean Lannan on Facebook and RGX on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Sean had a well-thought-out response that, frankly, needs to be read. It was just a bit too long to read on the show, but it's excellent. And RGX shared a Stormtrooper Starfleet dance-off. It's a dance-off, bro. Actually, it's really cool. You should you should watch it. it was, it's an old video. It was published in like 2014 or something. Um, and it seemed that there was supposed to be a follow-up, like they were going to actually do a dedicated Stormtrooper versus Star Trek dance-off. But uh, I, I, when, I, when I scrolled through the channel, I didn't see it. So they must have abandoned that project. But what, what we saw, the little teaser, was actually pretty fun. Uh, check it out. So as always, head over to our social media outlets and... Give the feedback a read. And don't be afraid to join in on the conversation. Well, that wraps up episode 395 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live and Women at Warp and the Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. And speaking of Women at Warp, Grace, why don't you remind everybody where they can get Women at Warp, not just from podcasts.roddenberry.com, but tell us about your social media platforms. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on our Women at Warp blog, and anywhere else where you can stream podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at womenatwarp.com. You can find me at Jank. But before we go, here's a community question for this week. What are you most looking forward to with the ninth anniversary and Mirror of Discovery update in Star Trek Online? Captains, you know we love to hear from you, so leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where they review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. 
Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With the regular giveaways, there is something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date on the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to audio editors Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, and Daniel Stevens. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su, no! Engage! Also, as a side note, I need to just get this out of the way when talking about this. Just what? What's? Ah! I'm very excited about this. And I'm very disappointed with the lack of Trek nuggets in this sentence. Me too. <laughs> I didn't Trek myself, and I wrecked myself. Star Trek Online's ninth anniversary is less than a week away, and we're excited to have Mary Wiseman. Hashtag silly for Tilly. You must be up when I said it. We need we need a we need a hashtag for Killy. For more information and a full list of ship stats, be quiet and check out the show notes. For more for more information. Don't laugh. Wonderful show, everyone. Oh, I think that last part's for us. We don't yeah, should we should we all read that together then? On sure. like the count of three? One. One. Two. two. Wonderful Wonderful show. Wonderful everyone. show, everyone. Wow. Perfect. <laughs> Let's that's the only take we need. The magic of editing. Wonderful, Wonderful show, show everyone. everyone. Should we call it Tony's top tip? No? Okay, never mind. Just... Only if you say it the... with a ridiculous Italian accent. It's a Tony's it's top a tip. It's a Tony's tip. <laughs> Mamma mia. That's Mama a spicy mia. tip. Spacco. <laughs> <laughs> My ship, she tasted like a calzone. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.